I love hearing people's stories, and there's always, always a journey, isn't it? We hear the journey for all on, and uh, you know, if you don't know all of the story, you talk to Martin and Amanda, that whole journey from going through that to kind of seeing real breakthrough, spiritual breakthrough, and physical breakthrough in terms of um, Martin's health and stuff, and that's exciting. So, talk, do talk to them more about um, the, their real gift to us for, for what they experienced and for their love, their support, and their care, and their stories, the amazing stories, so do catch up with them. Um, talking of journeys, many of you know uh, I've been away just last week with my family for a few days and um, we spent some time um, with my parents um, down in Henley and on one day, on one of the days we were there we decided to, uh, decided to go up to London on a train, so we jumped on a train and we got on sat on one of those little trains that went into London and when we got on there were these obviously different seats and there was one set of three seats facing each other, so six seats facing each other and immediately Sam and I ran to the seats that were going to be facing forward because I just cannot do with going backwards on a train or a bus or anything. And then he was like, oh, it's fine. And Sam was saying, no, 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 it really weird from traveling backwards and looking at the And that got us into talking and sharing stories, travel sickness stories, as you can only do with your friends. And we started telling them these stories about bad travel experiences and they got progressively worse and worse and worse. Until the kids started laughing, because finally they remembered a time in Spain about three years ago that has gone down in Buckley folklore. <laughs> um, we spent a morning on a glass bottom boat, and soon after heading out of this very calm bay on a beautiful, sunny, spectacular day, um, I, in their words, turned this freakish shade of olive. Um, such a sympathy of, sympathy of my family that when Sam found me, I was trying to get some air outside on the top deck. When he found me, he burst out laughing to the point where he couldn't speak and then um, went downstairs to get the rest of the family to bring them up to look at me because he, he could not believe the colour that I had gone. Apparently, they describe it as this crazy, crazy shade of olive. Uh, they say I was like some sort of freak of nature, the human chameleon. <laughs> and I wanted to take photos of me because no one would ever believe that a human being could turn this colour. I, I, I kid you not. They found it very funny. I wasn't at all. <laughs> Apparently, I was the greenest shade of Hulk imaginable. Sam was laughing, saying I could sort of help in traffic flow to keep the sort of traffic going, be human traffic lights. Um, I was really, with every pigeon rubble, I was getting worse and worse and worse. Um, about that time, well, some lovely, elderly, jolly English person came up on deck to take some photos and ironically said to me, don't worry, young fella, no one ever died of seasickness. <laughs> um, which was probably the lowest point of my life, <laughs> Partly because, um, I think I cried actually, because I think my hope was actually that I would die, and that was the one thing that was keeping me going. I took Motion sickness, if you suffer with it, is the worst thing possible. I can jump far, I can skim around it, I can dive off waterfalls, I can pick up snakes, none of that worries me, but put me on a child's roundabout and I start feeling queasy. It just gets to me that goes by lots of names, isn't it? Travel sickness, air sickness, car sickness, sea sickness. All forms of motion sickness happen when your eyes get focused on something that isn't moving, while the vehicle you're in is moving. If you're trying to read a book while being a passenger in a car, your eyes are focused on the book, the book isn't moving, 
that the car is. Our inner ear senses that we're moving, um, and there's a conflict going on between our eyes, and for some of us, that causes us to feel really bad. In fact, I'm so bad, if I'm in a car and you're reading, I start to feel queasy. <laughs> I like to think of it as sympathy vomiting. <laughs> you enjoy your book, I'll pin for you. That's kind of the way it works in my family. So, I I, so when I go into my car, I'm just not driving on this fine. But the thought of someone sitting next to me reading does affect me quite badly. So, what's the deal here? Why am I talking about all this vomiting? Well, when we suffer from motion sickness, as I said, it's because there's a conflict between our perception, or false impression, which is what our eyes are engaged with, and the true reality, which is what our inner ear is telling us. As a result, we get confused, we get disorientated, we get dizzy, and we can be sick. It's the difference between perception of that which isn't true, and reality, that which is true, that actually gives us motion sense. And so for us, I said we were all on a journey, aren't we? We're all travelling. As we travel through this world, we can, I think, get quite disorientated because we may perceive things to be true that actually aren't true. And if there arises a conflict between our perception of what's true and the reality of what's true, then we get this conflict that can often make us uncomfortable or disorientated. And I would suggest that it's possible to end up with this spiritual form of motion sickness. I'm going to unpack this quite a bit, but as I, we're kind of looking over the next three months at this whole thing of being a healthy church, what does it mean to be healthy? What does it mean to be a healthy Christian, part of a healthy church? The eyes, I think, are a great place to start. Sadly, perhaps for us as Christians, we learn to endure that imbalance, or pretend it's not there, or forget how bad it is we try and distract ourselves from this kind of nausea, which is simply often denying reality. Our eyes can lie, and we can collude with that. But, I will say that that actually will always eventually come out and bite on our hand. It's a bad place to get to ourselves. I think sometimes it's only when we experience the horror of something that kind of really affects us that we remember how bad things are. We can so often forget, but it'll be fine next time. We can like boat, boat journeys. We get really early on the boat, but soon after we think, ah, oh, it'll be fine. And we book out holiday next year and think it won't happen again. I was chatting to a very lovely guy, uh, lovely to welcome him with his son here, Mike. Um, from Fresh Church, we were talking about Jersey. I the last time I went to Jersey, I came up on the boat. I am never, ever, ever, ever coming back from Jersey on the boat. The last time I came back on the boat was when Hurricane uh, Bertha lived here. I was so ill. <laughs> My children were so ill. I think it was such a horrifying moment that I know I will never go on a boat from Jersey again. Sometimes it takes that to kind of really impress it. Jersey's a wonderful place, by the way, when I'm getting to Liverpool. Do fly. When I turned 40 um, a couple of, uh, couple of years ago, um, I discovered uh, something. I noticed several things actually. Start getting small hairs on the inside of your ear. That's maybe more information than some of you want to know. I noticed that. Um, but also I noticed my arms were clearly not long enough anymore, they were getting shorter because I was trying to get further and further away from the text that I was trying to read and I 
realised that my eyesight wasn't quite what, what it had been. Um, the truth is, as we age, our vision changes, and we discover that we become far-sighted or perhaps near-sighted. And so we have to wear glasses. I now can't see any which is not no bad thing, possibly. Um, I have to use these occasionally when I'm reading. and take them off them, although things are very blurry. Um, I want to talk about our eyes. In Matthew 6, Jesus talks about our hearts, but also interestingly linked to that, he talks about our eyes. This is from Matthew 6, and this is from the message, from verse 19. Don't go treasure down there where I get eaten by moths and corroded by rust, or worse, stolen by burglars. Stop par treasure in heaven, where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place you most want to be, and end up being. Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cell. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Um, it's been a bit of a shock, kind of needing glasses, only really needing them in low light, but it has been a shock. My eyesight has always been spectacular. Um, genuinely, I remember on my driving test with this cocky kind of 17 year old, when the um, test assessor asked me to read the registrations on the car, you know, at the end of the car park, I told him what, what, what the car radio was tuned into. <laughs> Um, I think I broke down very well with him, actually, but well, I was quite good. I could read it really clearly on the national right in front of his car. I've always had really great eyesight. Suddenly, when it starts going, you think, oh my goodness, what's going on? I increasingly need those glasses. Now, Jesus in this passage, he's telling us to keep in touch with our vision, to keep an eye on it, to not take it for granted. We do often take our eyesight for granted, don't we? Things can happen, both good and bad, which can alter your ability to view the world as you should. And if eyes are windows into our soul, windows into our body, then I would suggest they're a big deal. There's an acronym um, used in computing, GIGA, it's, it's garbage in, garbage out. Some of you are computer geeks, computer programmers. Uh, and people like people know what I mean. If you're trying to program a computer and you put in rubbish, well, rubbish is going to come out. Garbage in, garbage out. I think that can be applied to our eyes. What we put in is going to find a way back out. It's going to affect our sense of reality. It's going to affect our sense of understanding, our conscience, our lives, our perception. That's why pornography, for example, is really unhelpful. Because it creates within humanity a non-real, distorted version of reality. Our eyes perceive one thing, but our circumstances will be different. And therefore, we begin to get sick. We suffer from motion sickness. And then, either catastrophically we try and make circumstances fit what we're seeing, and we end up with many a failed marriage or relationship as a testament to that. Or we live in this kind of no man's land of fantasy, limbo, schizophrenic existence of jumping between reality and fantasy and what we're seeing and what we're putting into our eyes. 
church doesn't talk about pornography enough, but statistics show that actually the use of pornography in the church is virtually exactly the same as outside of the church. And it's not just guys, but there's a brokenness in our hearts that what we put in, what we feed, affects us. But this is this talk about our eyes is not just about pornography. And sometimes we get caught on that one thing. One evening I was watching the news and it flashed on the news. Um, I was at home watching the TV and it flashed on the news of this. There was a, a car going along the M4 the wrong way. And I was very nervous because I knew my wife was travelling to London to go and see some friends. So I grabbed the phone, I phoned her up on my mobile, she's got hands free in her car, and I kind of said to her, I'd like to see, are you okay? I'm really worried there's a car going the wrong way on the M4. To which she screams back to me, what do you mean there's one car going the wrong way? They're all going the wrong way! It's a terrible joke. <laughs> I know lots of you can see how I'm coming. But you know, we laugh about that silly joke, but the truth is, actually, sometimes, in spite of all evidence to the contrary, sometimes, we can get into a position that we believe that we alone are absolutely right and everybody else is wrong. No question about it. All other cars on the motorway are going the wrong way. I'm right. Why is it right so wrong? Our vision, our perception can get so twisted and distorted that we start seeing things really, really awry. It then becomes more critical that we seem to be right than whether we actually are right. Sometimes we can be looking, but not really seeing. Sometimes we can maybe have good eyes, but we've got terrible vision. And that's what we see in this reading that was brilliantly read to us by Debbie today in Saul's life. See, Saul was convinced he was pleasing God. He was busy chasing down Christians and slaughtering them and killing them. And he thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was honouring God. His zeal was powerful. He was completely wrong until God set him on the right path. Did you notice that for Paul to be set on the right path, you know, what, what was he doing? Well, he was trying to trap Christians. And, and did you notice in that they were, they were referred to, they weren't referred to as Christians, but they were referred to as followers of the way. I think there's a, there's a kind of rich irony here that, that Paul is going out of his way to entrap Christians on the way and he's travelling great distances to do it. He doesn't just do it locally around him, he's going off on a mission, going out of his way to catch people on the way, to track them down and to bring them back to Damascus. And the way, as it's an interesting phrase that's used kind of in the early church, it's a powerful metaphor, powerful picture for Christian identity. See, Saul was driven by his religious set of ideals, his beliefs, these kind of rules, enforced legalistic things that he had to do, to strive for. But these early Christians, followers of the way, instead of being identified by a set of belief, in a sense, they were known by their character, by the way they lived their lives. They were following the way, followers of the way. Faith outworked in action. It was visible to all those around them. For them and for us, Christian faith is a way of life. And one that impelled people and communities to faithfully, fearfully walk on the road that God has set for them. The way, the radical living, active way of life. And Saul, convinced he's serving God, doing the right thing, actually is utterly blinded to the truth. He's blind. 
not physically, it's probably blind to what you're doing. I don't know if you, those of you who drive, I've had that experience of driving on a motorway and you're driving down and you, you go to pull into the lane next to you and you look in your mirror, look in both mirrors, it's completely different, you go to move over and suddenly you hear this hoot and you see a flash and you look and there's a car right there. You think, well, where did that come from? And you use the expression of the blind spot, don't you? So easy to do that. Particularly if you're a bit tired or you're not expecting or you're not really paying attention to what's coming up. Many uh, of you know for, for years I, I rode a motorbike and I uh, did a motorbike test. I wasn't cocky on that test, apart from me asking me what the registration was. But on that test, you have this thing called a lifesaver. And it's a look before you pull across, you always look over your shoulder. And I'm so thankful for that because Sarah laughs about it. When I drive a car and I change that, I always look over my shoulder in the car. I've had it, I can't not do it now. But it's often stopped me driving into a car that's in my blind spot. But in our lives, so often we have blind spots too, spiritual blind spots. And for Saul, he was completely missing it. He didn't understand at all until God intervened. Saul thought he was on the right track, could see perfectly, and then God showed up and showed him that he was really blind on the wrong path by making him blind until he takes away those scales. And where did that happen? I love this. I love the detail we get in Scripture. But he'd been on the wrong path, hadn't he? Until Jesus put him back on track. And where did that happen? Well, God set him straight on straight streets. Put him back on the right track. Put him back on the path. Took away the blinds so that he could suddenly see where he was supposed to go. He was on the right path now. I wonder where our sights might be a bit awry. Where we might have got things twisted. Maybe it's been bad church experience or bad teaching or just our life experiences that have happened to us. But maybe we're not sitting straight. Maybe our vision is distorted. Perhaps because of abusive relationships or control or wounds. Or maybe we're short-sighted. We, we kind of, you know, we struggle to see what's in front of us and we get confused. Or when we're long-sighted, we can't see in the distance. That's why we're around, probably not. But we struggle to see what's ahead and we stumble. I wonder where we might be a little bit off track and not really living according to the way. Let's go back to Matthew 6. Jesus said, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in one room, if your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is like a dank cell. At the vicarage, we've got lots of really, really big windows and they're fabulous. Apart from they get really, really dirty a lot of the time. And you know, my children, it's the last thing they want to do is clean windows. Um, it's just the last thing they want to do to do much, really. But it's quite hard being a child, so they tell me. But you know, I look at these windows and think, I really must get around to cleaning them. I really must, it doesn't really happen. The windows get dirty really, really quickly. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. The condition of the window determines the amount of light that will get into the room. If the window's clear, clean and undistilted, then light comes flooding into the room. And sometimes we take for granted our window's just a bit dirty, and that's just how life is, and I've just got used to it. And you get to the point where you don't notice how dirty your windows are anymore. But Jesus wants light to flood our lives. Every corner is light to break in. If the glass of the window is coloured or frosted, dirty or distorted or obscure, the light gets hindered and the room becomes darker. 
In much the same way, I think, the windows to our souls can become dirty or distorted, affect our vision. I think the windows of our soul can be, become soiled by several things. And as I prepared this, there were just five things I'm going to whisper in. And maybe as I've shared them, maybe other things, maybe the Holy Spirit will just put a bit of a prod to you, to challenge you. I feel the challenge by some of these things. And I know I'm going to need to go after it with God, as Mark said. So maybe just recognising your condition. Sometimes you have to go to the position and say, I want to be made better. During the worship, I've read the story of the blind man, Bartimaeus. He cries out, Jesus, I want to see you. Maybe we need to ask God to heal us, to heal our eyes. The first thing that I think can affect our eyes is avarice. Funny words, kind of word that kind of came to me and I thought, okay, well, you know, I kind of know what it means. It's to do with greed and envy and kind of wanting things, the power of materialism. We talk about the green eyed monster, don't we? It's an interesting expression. In 2015, in the UK alone, 19.4 billion was spent on advertising. Why do you think that is? Humorism within us that gets attracted. Advertisers wouldn't advertise if we didn't get sucked into it. And what we see can affect us this drive to consume, this drive to need to have the latest, the biggest, the best, the better. Jesus said, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moss and crows or rusts, or worse, stolen by burdens. Stockpile treasure in heaven. You know, Jesus is speaking of things of this world. God, Lord created the world, it's an amazing place. And I love the great things that we can have, you know, whether it's iPads or um, you know, iPods or eyeballs, I don't know, or anything. But I love technology. But actually, God wants to give us more than just stuff. They were created for our function, not for our focus. God's good. God provides for us. We can enjoy those things, but where is our focus? Where are our eyes fixed? I think one of the greatest, if, if stuff comes at us and we become consuming materialism, one of the best ways of breaking the power of that, I think, is generosity. Giving stuff away. Being really open-handed. Recognising that everything that we have actually comes from God anyway. And so when we see people in need, we share, we give, or we steward stuff well. We don't let it have a hold on us. Our focus is on Jesus who's out of the way. Where are your eyes fixed and focused? Is it on the lure full of stuff? The second thing I want to talk about is sensuality. The whole thing of the sexual realm, physical realm. It's like a distorted vision that we can get. You know, if you read the Old Testament, Sexuality and sexual perversion and all that kind of stuff. None, none of this is new, new stuff. The challenge and the tension around that. See, sex is good. I want to say that. As a husband, I want to say sex is good. Sex is good. You've heard me as a bit to say that. There's nothing about that. I want to say sex is good. It's great. It's a gift from God. It's the greatest gift. It's good. It's wholesome. And it's, I believe, a gift of God given within marriage, within the balance of marriage. It's a place of 
creation, it's a place of protection, it's a place of safety. You know, in those places, it's glorious, it's wonderful. And so often we slip or we fail, and we struggle in those areas, or it becomes abused. Because humanity is taking a gift of sex and made it into something often disheveled, or distorted, or smutty, and in the end we stolen this joy, the beauty of it, and turned it sometimes into something seedy. Sexual sin is a favourite book Satan uses to pull people away from God, and then shame holds people away from God. If you struggle in this area, if this is a struggle that you know in your eyes, you struggle in this area, know this, God can bring healing. God can bring transformation, God can bring freedom. There's many people in the room who would be able to share testimony of that. It's right there, isn't it? You now we can go home tonight in the secrets of our rooms, on our computers, on our laptops, on our iPhones, on our iPads, or whatever it is we use. It's there, it's hidden secrets. What's one of the cures for that? Well, I think understanding that sexuality and sexuality isn't about things, it's about people. And we, as, we, as we stop seeing guys, as we stop seeing women as objects, but actually see them as created in the image of God, full of beauty, gifts, to be honoured and valued and esteemed, then they cease to become sexual objects and they become full of honour. Brothers and sisters that we want to honour. We need to ask for more of God's love, purity of love, and we need to ask for God's holiness. Be holy, says God, because I'm not, because I'm holy. Not be holy in beating us with a stick, be saying you can be holy. Because I'm holy. And the leaders in these great ideas in the world. Thirdly, quickly. What about eyes of judgment and criticism? You know, it's so easy to have critical eyes, and actually what we what we let in, what we let out is criticism. We're looking to put down others. Perhaps we use sarcasm. And often that comes from a kind of insecure root. We often see the plank in other people's eyes, way before we see our own stuff. We're looking to judge others. We see the mistakes they make, the failures, and we end up talking to oh. The cure for that? A lavish abundance of God's grace. Looking to honour others. Always looking to encourage, looking for the good in others. Looking at others and seeing their, their goodness. Looking at others and seeing their gifts. Looking at others and seeing their potential rather than their mistakes. Wanting not to undermine, but to build up. To look at others and say, I want you to go higher and faster and better than me. Looking to bless instead of curse. Looking for fruit rather than force. Number four, bitterness, forgiveness, lack of forgiveness, unforgiveness. Often we can be really lopsided, we've got really long memories. We, we remember reasons that we've been hurt. Often we're angry or, or hurting. Perhaps you've got kind of got cataracts over your eyes that have been caused by others' wounds. And it helps you, it makes you see the world through kind of pain, resentful eyes. And you're angry and you're bitter. And you find it really hard to forgive. And every time you look at some people or circumstances, you just get filled with a sense of injustice or anger. Maybe God wants you to be able to forgive, to show mercy, to experience His mercy and forgiveness. And the last one I just want to think about is that whole area of blindness that Paul had, which is basically down on arrogance. 
refused to let into his eyes anything that he just felt was beneath him. He knew he was right. I'm on the right path. And I'm going to do what I want to do. It's so easy to be arrogant. But God wants us to see with eyes of humility, to look at others and honour them, and to be repentant. And sometimes God wants to show us that actually we're often blind to his will and his purpose. Maybe there's other things that God's been speaking to you about your eyes. But I'm going to finish by saying this. Well, I started talking about motion sickness. How do you deal with it? Well, I learned to read, I know you can get really car sick, but it's quite, there's a simple solution. If I stared out the window into the distance and looked at a fixed point and gazed at the horizon in, that, in the direction I was traveling, in other words, in order to overcome the false perception of standing still, you fix your eyes on something that's real. That would really help. Hebrews 12, 2 is a favorite verse of mine. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. We can't focus on two destinations, it's impossible. You can't drive to two different places at once. God calls us to keep focus, to keep our eyes on Christ, to avoid looking at what everyone else is doing, being, or saying, and instead to see Him. The message says keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race for him. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Let's pray together. And so, Jesus, we ask that you would hear our eyes. Would you put sound on our eyes to bring him so that we can see with heavenly clarity? see others as you intend us to see, to see reality as you intend us to see, to have eyes that allow light to flood our bodies. We say we're sorry for a times when we've uh, allowed unclean images or thoughts, uh, actions to enter through our eyes, where we do our time helpful things, where we choose to fix our mind and our gaze on those things that are pure and holy and good. Lord, we covenant to fix our eyes on the one who provides all direction, all hope, all purpose, by keeping focused eyes on you, Jesus. Lord, help us to have focused eyes on you, so that the world around us becomes blurry. Help us to have focused eyes on you, to understand that you're the one who provides all good things. Focus eyes on you that allow God to draw us into your purpose and your ways. Eyes focused on you, Jesus, that help us see those that we love and care and compassion and mercy. Lord, help us keep our eyes focused on you to understand that God, you have plans for us. Plans to prosper us, not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. And that God is greater than any circumstance we face. Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you so that we know and remember that you've not forgotten us, that you are alive, powerful, and aware of all things in our lives. 
and leave your touch. Lord Jesus, help us get our eyes focused on you so that we'll be assured of your rescue, your restoration, your healing, as we look to you and gaze at you, to know that you are able, that you are good all the time. So Jesus, we fix our focus on you. May you ever be before us, leading us, good shepherd. We look to you at our healing. Where we're blind, would you heal us? Where we have distorted vision, will you heal us? Where we turn our gaze from you, would you draw our arms back to you? Bring your healing up, we pray. Amen.